0: Book two, chapter eight, part one, of Windy McPherson's son. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lynn Thompson. Windy McPherson's son by Sherwood Anderson. Book two, chapter eight, part one the blow given the plan of life so carefully thought out and so eagerly accepted by the young Macphersons, threw them back upon themselves for several years they had been living upon a hilltop taking themselves very seriously and more than a little preening themselves with the thought that they were two very unusual and thoughtful people engaged upon a worthy and ennobling enterprise sitting in their corner immersed in admiration of their own purposes and in the thoughts of the vigorous disciplined new life they were to give the world by the combined efficiency of their two bodies and minds they were at a word and a shake of the head from dr grover compelled to remake the outline of their future together all about them the rush of life went on vast changes were impending in the industrial life of the people cities were doubling and tripling their population a war was being fought and the flag of their country flew in the ports of strange seas while american boys pushed their way through the tangled jungles of strange lands carrying in their hands rainy whittaker rifles and in a huge stone house set in a broad expanse of green lawns near the shores of lake michigan sam mcpherson sat looking at his wife who in turn looked at him he was trying as she also was trying to adjust himself to the cheerful acceptance of their new prospect of a childless life looking at sue across the dinner-table or seeing her straight wiry body astride a horse riding beside him through the parks it seemed to sam unbelievable that a childless womanhood was ever to be her portion and more than once he had an inclination to venture again upon an effort for the success of their hopes but when he remembered her still white face that night in the hospital her bitter haunting cry of defeat he turned with a shudder from the thought feeling that he could not go with her again through that ordeal that he could not again allow her to look forward through weeks and months toward the little life that never came to lie upon her breast or to laugh up into her face and yet sam son of that jane mcpherson who had won the admiration of the men of caxton by her ceaseless efforts to keep her family afloat and clean-handed could not sit idly by living upon the income of his own and sue's money the stirring forward-moving world called to him he looked about him at the broad significant movements in business and finance at the new men coming into prominence and apparently finding a way for their expression of new big ideas and felt his youth stirring in him and his mind reaching out to new projects and new ambitions given the necessity for economy and a hard long-drawn-out struggle for a livelihood and competence sam could conceive of living his life with sue and deriving something like gratification from just her companionship and her partnership in his efforts here and there during the waiting years he had met men who had found such gratification a foreman in the shops, or a tobacconist, from whom he bought his cigars. But for himself he felt that he had gone with Sue too far upon another road to turn that way now with anything like mutual zeal or interest. At bottom, his mind did not run strongly toward the idea of the love of women as an end in life. He had loved, and did love, Sue with something approaching religious fervour. "'but the fervour was more than half due to the ideas she had given him, "'and to the fact that with him she was to have been the instrument "'for the realisation of those ideas. "'He was a man with children in his loins, "'and he had given up his struggles for business eminence "'for the sake of preparing himself for a kind of noble fatherhood of children, "'many children, strong children, fit gifts to the world "'for two exceptionally favoured lives.' In all of his talks with sue this idea had been present and dominant he had looked about him in the arrogance of his youth and in the pride of his good body and mind had condemned all childless marriages as a selfish waste of good lives with her he had agreed that such lives were without point and purpose now he remembered that in the days of her audacity and daring she had more than once expressed the hope that in case of a childless issue to their marriage one or the other of them would have the courage to cut the knot that tied them and venture into another effort at right living at any cost in the months after sue's last recovery and during the long evenings as they sat together or walked under the stars in the park the thought of these talks was often in sam's mind and he found himself beginning to speculate on her present attitude and to wonder how bravely she would meet the idea of a separation in the end he decided that no such thought was in her mind that face to face with the tremendous actuality she clung to him with a new dependence and a new need of his companionship the conviction of the absolute necessity of children as a justification for a man and woman living together had he thought burned itself more deeply into his brain than into hers to him it clung coming back again and again to his mind causing him to turn here and there, restlessly, making readjustments, seeking new light. The old gods being dead, he sought new gods. In the meantime, he sat in his house, facing his wife, losing himself in the books recommended to him years before by Janet, thinking his own thoughts. Often in the evening he would look up from his book, or from his preoccupied staring at the fire, to find her eyes looking at him talk sam talk she would say do not sit there thinking or at another time she would come to his room at night and putting her head down on the pillow beside his would spend hours planning weeping begging him to give her again his love his old fervent devoted love this sam tried earnestly and honestly to do going with her for long walks when the new call the business had begun to make to him would have kept him at his desk reading aloud to her in the evening urging her to shake off her old dreams and to busy herself with new work and new interests through the days in the office he went in a kind of half stupor an old feeling of his boyhood coming back to him it seemed to him as it had seemed when he walked aimlessly through the streets of Caxton after the death of his mother that there remained something to be done an accounting to be made. Even at his desk, with the clatter of typewriters in his ears, and the piles of letters demanding his attention, his mind slipped back to the days of his courtship with Sue, and to those days in the North Woods when life had beat strong within him, and every young, wild thing, every new growth, renewed the dream that filled his being. Sometimes on the street, or walking in the park with Sue, the cries of children at play cut across the sombre dullness of his mind, and he shrank from the sound and a kind of bitter resentment took possession of him When he looked covertly at sue she talked of other things apparently unconscious of his thoughts Then a new phase of life presented itself to his surprise he found himself looking with more than passing interest at women in the streets and An old hunger for the companionship of strange women came back to him in some way coarsened and materialized one evening at the theatre a woman a friend of sue's and the childless wife of a business friend of his own sat beside him in the darkness of the playhouse her shoulder nestled down against his in the excitement of a crisis on the stage her hand slipped into his and her fingers clutched and held his fingers animal desire seized and shook him a feeling without sweetness brutal making his eyes burn when, between the acts, the theatre was again flooded with light, he looked up guiltily to meet another pair of eyes, equally filled with guilty hunger. A challenge had been given and received. In their car, homeward bound, Sam put the thoughts of the woman away from him, and, taking Sue in his arms, prayed silently for some help against he knew not what. "'I think I will go to Caxton in the morning and have a talk with Mary Underwood,' he said. After his return from Caxton, Sam set about finding some new interest to occupy Sue's mind. He had spent an afternoon talking to Valmore, Freedom Smith, and Telfer, and thought there was a kind of flatness in their jokes and in their aging comments on each other. Then he had gone from them for his talk with Mary. Half through the night they had talked. Sam getting forgiveness for not writing, and getting also a long friendly lecture on his duty towards Sue. He thought she had in some way missed the point. She had seemed to suppose that the loss of the children had fallen singly upon Sue. She had not counted upon him, and he had depended upon her doing just that. He had come as a boy to his mother wanting to talk of himself, and she had wept at the thought of the childless wife and had told him how to set about making her happy. Well, I will set about it, he thought on the train coming home. I will find for her this new interest and make her less dependent upon me then i will also take hold anew and work out for myself a program for a way of life one afternoon when he came home from the office he found sue filled indeed with a new idea with glowing cheeks she sat beside him through the evening and talked of the beauties of a life devoted to social service i have been thinking things out she said her eyes shining we must not allow ourselves to become sordid we must keep to the vision we must together give the best in our lives and our fortunes to mankind we must make ourselves units in the great modern movements for social uplift sam looked at the fire and a chill feeling of doubt ran through him he could not see himself as a unit in anything his mind did not run toward the thought of being one of the army of philanthropists or rich social uplifters he had met talking and explaining in the reading-rooms of the clubs. No answering flame burned in his heart, as it had burned that evening by the bridle-path in Jackson Park, when she had expounded another idea. But the thought of a need of new interest for her coming to him, he turned to her, smiling it sounds all right but i know nothing of such things he said after that evening sue began to get a hold upon herself the old fire came back into her eyes and she went about the house with a smile upon her face and talked through the evenings to her silent attentive husband of the life of usefulness the full life one day she told him of her election to the presidency of a society for the rescue of fallen women and he began seeing her name in the newspapers in connection with various charity and civic movements at the house a new sort of men and women began appearing at the dinner-table a strangely earnest feverish half fanatical people sam thought with an inclination toward corsetless dresses and uncut hair who talked far into the night and worked themselves into a sort of religious zeal over what they called their movement Sam found them likely to run to startling statements, Noticed that they sat on the edges of their chairs when they talked, and was puzzled by their tendency toward making the most revolutionary statements without pausing to back them up. When he questioned a statement made by one of these people, he came down upon him with a rush that quite carried him away, and then, turning to the others, looked at them wisely like a cat that had swallowed a mouse. Ask us another question, if you dare their faces seemed to be saying while their tongues declared that they were but students of the great problem of right living with these new people sam never made any progress toward real understanding and friendship for a time he tried honestly to get some of their own fervent devotions to their ideas and to be impressed by what they said of their love of man even going with them to some of their meetings at one of which he sat among the fallen women gathered in and listened to a speech by sue the speech did not make much of a hit the fallen women moving restlessly about a large woman with an immense nose did better she talked with a swift contagious zeal that was very stirring and listening to her sam was reminded of the evening when he sat before another zealous talker in the church at Caxton, and jim williams the barber tried to stampede him into the fold with the lambs. While the woman talked, a plump little member of the demi-monde who sat beside Sam wept copiously. But at the end of the speech he could remember nothing of what had been said, and he wondered if the weeping woman would remember. To express his determination to continue being Sue's companion and partner, Sam, during one winter, taught a class of young men at a settlement house in the factory district off the west side. The class in his hands was unsuccessful he found the young men heavy and stupid with fatigue after the day of labour in the shops and more inclined to fall asleep in their chairs or wander away one at a time to loaf and smoke on a nearby corner than to stay in the room listening to the man reading or talking before them when one of the young women workers came into the room they sat up and seemed for the moment interested once Sam heard a group of them talking of these women-workers on a landing in a darkened stairway. The experience startled Sam, and he dropped the class, admitting to Sue his failure and his lack of interest in bowing his head before her accusation of a lack of the love of men. Later, by the fire in his own room, he tried to draw for himself a moral from the experience. Why should I love these men? he asked himself they are what i might have been few of the men i have known have loved me and some of the best and cleanest of them have worked vigorously for my defeat life is a battle in which few men win and many are defeated and which hate and fear play their part with love and generosity these heavy-featured young men are a part of the world as men have made it why this protest against their fate when we are all of us making more and more of them with every turn of the clock during the next year after the fiasco of the settlement house class sam found himself drifting more and more rapidly away from sue and her new viewpoint of life the growing gulf between them showed itself in a thousand little household acts and impulses and every time he looked at her he thought her more apart from him and less a part of the real life that went on within him in the old days there had been something intimate and familiar in her person and in her presence she had seemed like a part of him like the room in which he slept or the coat he wore on his back and he had looked into her eyes as thoughtlessly and with as little fear of what he might find there as he looked at his own hands now when his eyes met hers they dropped and one or other of them began talking hurriedly like a person who has a consciousness of something he must conceal Downtown Sam took up anew his old friendship and intimacy with Jack Prince going with him to clubs and drinking places and often spending evenings among the clever money-wasting young men who laughed and made deals and Talked their way through life at Jack's side Among these young men a business associate of Jack's caught his attention and in a few weeks an intimacy had sprung up between Sam and this man. Maurice Morrison, Sam's new friend, had been discovered by Jack Prince, working as a sub-editor on a country daily down the state. There was, Sam thought, something of the Caxton dandy, Mike McCarthy in the man, combined with prolonged and fervent, although somewhat periodic, attacks of industry. In his youth he had written poetry, and at one time had studied for the ministry, and in Chicago, under Jack Prince, he had developed into a money-maker and led the life of a talented, rather unscrupulous man of the world. He kept a mistress, often overdrank, and Sam thought him the most brilliant and convincing talker he had ever heard as Jack Prince's assistant, he had charge of the Rainy Company's large advertising expenditure and the two men being thrown often together a mutual regard grew up between them sam believed him to be without moral sense he knew him to be able and honest and he found in the association with him a fund of odd little sweetnesses of character and action that lent an inexpressible charm to the person of his friend it was through morrison that sam had his first serious misunderstanding with sue one evening the brilliant young advertising man dined at the mcpherson's the table as usual was filled with sue's new friends among them a tall gaunt man who with the arrival of the coffee began in a high-pitched earnest voice to talk of the coming social revolution sam looked across the table and saw a light dancing in morrison's eyes like a hound unleashed he sprang among sue's friends tearing the rich to pieces calling for the onward advance of the masses quoting odds and ends of shelley and carlyle peering earnestly up and down the table and at the end quite winning the hearts of the women by a defence of fallen women that stirred the blood of even his friend and host sam was amused and a trifle annoyed the whole thing was he knew no more than a piece of downright acting with just the touch of sincerity in it that was characteristic of the man but that had no depth or real meaning during the rest of the evening he watched sue wondering if she too had fathomed morrison and what she thought of his having taken the role of star from the long gaunt man who had evidently been booked for that part and who sat at the table and wandered afterward among the guests annoyed and disconcerted late that night sue came into his room and found him reading and smoking by the fire Cheeky of Morrison dimming your star, he said, looking at her, and laughing apologetically. She looked at him doubtfully. I came in to thank you for bringing him, she said. I thought him splendid. Sam looked at her, and for a moment was tempted to let the matter pass, and then his old inclination to be always open and frank with her asserted itself, and he closed the book, and, rising, stood looking down at her. "'The little beast was guying your crowd,' he said. "'But I do not want him to guy you. "'Not that he wouldn't try. "'He has the audacity for anything.' "'A flush arose to her cheeks, and her eyes gleamed. "'That is not true, Sam,' she said coldly. "'You say that because you are becoming hard and cold and cynical. "'Your friend Morrison talked from his heart. "'It was beautiful.' men like you who have a strong influence over him may lead him away but in the end a man like that will come to give his life to the service of society you should help him not assume an attitude of unbelief and laugh at him sam stood upon the hearth smoking his pipe and looking at her he was thinking how easy it would have been in the first year after their marriage to have explained morrison now he felt that he was but making a bad matter worse but went on determined to stick to his policy of being entirely honest with her. "'Look here, Sue,' he began quietly, "'be a good sport. Morrison was joking. I know the man. He is the friend of men like me, because he wants to be, and because it pays him to be. He is a talker, a writer, a talented, unscrupulous wordmonger. He is making a big salary by taking the ideas of men like me, and expressing them better than we can ourselves.' "'He is a good workman and a generous, open-hearted fellow "'with a lot of nameless charm in him. "'But a man of convictions, he is not. "'He could talk tears into the eyes of your fallen women, "'but he would be a lot more likely to talk good women into their state.' "'Sam put a hand upon her shoulder. "'Be sensible and do not be offended,' he went on. "'Take the fellow for what he is and be glad for him. "'He hurts little and cheers a lot. He could make a convincing argument in favour of civilization's return to cannibalism, but really, you know, he spends most of his time thinking and writing of washing machines and ladies' hats and liver pills, and most of his eloquence, after all, only comes down to send for catalogue, Department K, in the end. Sue's voice was colourless with passion when she replied, This is unbearable. Why did you bring the fellow here? sam sat down and picked up his book in his impatience he lied to her for the first time since their marriage first because i like him and second because i wanted to see if i couldn't produce a man who could out-sentimentalize your socialist friends he said quietly she turned and walked out of the room in a way the action was final and marked the end of understanding between them putting down his book sam watched her go and some feeling he had kept for her, and that had differentiated her from all other women, died in him as the door closed between them. Throwing the book aside, he sprang to his feet and stood looking at the door. The old good-fellowship appeal is dead, he thought. From now on we will have to explain and apologize like two strangers, no more taking each other for granted. Turning out the light, he sat again before the fire to think his way through the situation that faced him. He had no thought that she would return. That last shot of his own had crushed the possibility of that. The fire was getting low in the grate, and he did not renew it. He looked past it, toward the darkened windows, and heard the hum of motor-cars along the boulevard below. Again he was the boy of Caxton, hungrily seeking an end in life. The flushed face of the woman in the theatre danced before his eyes. He remembered with shame how he had, a few days before, stood in a doorway and followed with his eyes the figure of a woman who had lifted her eyes to him as they passed in the street. He wished that he might go out of the house for a walk with John Telfer and have his mind filled with eloquence of the standing corn, or sit at the feet of Janet Eberley as she talked of books and of life. He got up, and turning on the lights began preparing for bed I know what I will do he said I will go to work I will do some real work and make some more money that's the place for me and to work he went real work the most sustained and clearly thought-out work he had ever done for two years he was out of the house at dawn for a long bracing walk in the fresh morning air to be followed by eight ten and even fifteen hours in the office and shops, hours in which he drove the Rainy Arms Company's organization mercilessly, and, taking openly every vestige of the management out of the hands of Colonel Tom, began the plans for the consolidation of the American firearms companies, that later put his name on the front pages of the newspapers and got him the title of a Captain of Finance there is a widespread misunderstanding abroad regarding the motives of many of the american millionaires who sprang into prominence and affluence in the days of change and sudden bewildering growth that followed the close of the spanish war they were many of them not of the brute trader type but were instead men who thought and acted quickly and with a daring and audacity impossible to the average mind they wanted power, and were, many of them, entirely unscrupulous. But, for the most part, they were men with a fire burning within them, men who became what they were because the world offered them no better outlet for their vast energies. Sam McPherson had been untiring and without scruples in the first hard, quick struggle to get his head above the great unknown body of men there in the city. He had turned aside from money-getting when he heard what he took to be a call to a better way of life. Now, with the fires of youth still in him, and with the training and discipline that had come from two years of reading, of comparative leisure, and of thought, he was prepared to give the Chicago business world a display of that tremendous energy that was to write his name in the industrial history of the city as one of the first of the western giants of finance. Going to Sue, Sam told her frankly of his plans. End of Book 2, Chapter 8, Part 1